0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, certainly one of the greatest examples of how great our God is is the when you consider human life starts at conception, one cell begins to divide, and somehow the DNA and all that God has made goes to work. And slowly but surely, in the womb, that um, baby starts to look more and more like a human being, right? The farther you go through the, when mom's carrying the baby, the more it looks like a human being. And finally that day comes, and uh, mom has a lot of uh, unpleasantness, and uh, dad observes it. And the baby is born. you got to think, what kind of shock is that for the baby? It's been nice and warm and comfortable and, and you know. And now all of a sudden they get out and maybe it feels cold. Whatever, and here they are. They're not held like this and they're out. And, and what, is one of the, what, what is the thing that is typically the first thing in life that that baby does? cries. That's right, because it's out and it hasn't been breathing, right? Mom's been breathing for it. And it gets out and goes... Right? And uh, so then they continue to do that for several years. Um, <coughs> but, but they grow. But what happens is, when once you see is when they are born, that this new, they kinda of go into motion, right? They go into action. And they really don't slow down much seriously for another four or five years. And some of them don't slow down after that, right? <laughs> uh, but it's in motion, right? They're, they're little babies and they're little and they'll they lay there in bed and do what they do, their arms and their feet, right? I mean, they're in motion. And they're learning things and doing things. And, and so they grow and they get old and they can walk, they can run, they can grab things they aren't supposed to grab and on and on it goes right but they're in action they're in motion well last week we talked about the birth of the body the birth of the body of Christ and in some sense when Jesus started calling disciples when he started you know say follow me the church was conceived and didn't it look at all like it was going to be Okay? But it began forming over the years as disciples of Jesus. He taught them more. He, he was an example to them more, helped them to see where, where things were headed. And so more and more the church starts to take shape. And then on the day of Pentecost, which we looked at last week, the Holy Spirit comes into the church. And does anybody remember what you know, the word that's translated Holy Spirit is Numa. And anybody remember what one of the really key meanings of pneuma is? Just say it. It's wind. It's wind that's one. It's spirit. But what's another one? Uh, I thought this one might have slipped by you. breath. And so in some sense, when the Holy Spirit comes into the body of Christ, the breath enters the body. And I don't know if it was a shock to them or not, the people in there, but we do see that it, it resulted in noise, didn't it? Okay. Lots of things going on, lots of excitement. And so today we want to talk about the life of the baby, this brand new baby church what was going on there? You know, if just like a, a newborn baby is in motion For you know, from then on, we see that happening with the church as well. So let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2 again. And be page 1,255 in the Bible that's under the chairs there. It actually starts two or three words on the other page. But 1,255. So you remember, the Holy Spirit had come upon them. They had the, miraculously speaking in languages that they had never learned. It draws a crowd, and Peter stands up and preaches. And, and these, he's preaching to people who already believed the Bible that they had, the Old Testament, people who already believed in God, people who really already believed there was a Messiah coming, but then they discover from Peter that they had crucified Jesus, and he was the Messiah, and how G, uh, God raised him from the dead. And so they all of a sudden have this overwhelming sense of, guilt for what they have done. And they're they're saying, what should we do? And you remember, Peter says, you need to turn away from your old ways and your sin and turn to God and, and trust in him. And you ought to demonstrate that by being baptized. Why? Because God has forgiven you all of your sins. And they do. And that's where we pick up here in verse number 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation then those who gladly received his word were baptized. The gladly received says that they, they believed, right? They responded in faith. And they, they're choosing to trust God about this, the, the truth that they've heard. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Father, I I ask you as we talk about these things, what they mean, and what they should mean in our lives today. Lord, I pray your spirit would speak to us today. Help us to see. Please remove obstacles in our lives that might prevent that. And we want to respond to you today in ways that would honor and glorify you we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we see there are ten things present in the life of this baby church. Okay, ten things. And the first one, go ahead and go to that if you would, Eduardo. Is it working? There we go, yeah. All right. Unsaved people were responding to the gospel. That's what we see right in the beginning, right? We're with 3,000. Boy, that's a bunch, isn't it? You know, if I was thinking about this, uh, 3,000 <clears> that if all of a sudden next week we have 3,000 people, or let's say one day you have, I don't know how you, that many get saved here, but they do. we got 3,000 people. You know, we would have to have 15 services with every seat full. So I was trying to figure out how we'd do that. One on Friday night, seven on Saturday, seven on Sunday, and I figured I could preach four or five of them. And then I'd be exhausted. we'd have to use video or something else. But uh, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. In fact, I, then I, I went even farther. I got to thinking about this. 15 services, Friday, Saturday. Oh, yeah, I could probably speak live five times, and the rest the other 10 have to be video. We probably need at least 60 gallons of coffee. <laughs> and we might need a new septic system before long. A hundred dozen donuts. Full parking crew 12 hours a day. Eight worship teams and tech crew with each of them doing two services. Three dozen nursery workers each covering two services. Three to four dozen children's workers. Two to three cleaning crews just to try to keep up with it all. And five to ten teen meetings a week. Okay? I mean, that's a lot of people, isn't it? And to go from hundred, well, start off with 12, right? And then 120, we saw. And now we're to 3,120. <laughs> okay, that's huge. But we see that one of the marks of this new church, this baby church, is that people are responding to the gospel. People are getting saved, okay? Second thing, they are gathering for the teaching of God's word. When it talks about the continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, uh, this word doctrine, we typically think, well, that's, that's a list of beliefs. And, and it is, but the word uh, that it's translated from really means teaching. And so the apostles were teaching w- about Jesus, because a lot of these people weren't hanging around Jesus. So they're telling what Jesus did, what Jesus said. Then they're telling the theology why does this matter? What do we believe? And how does it affect how we live? And so it's really uh, the, the Word of God. The New Testament is the kind of stuff that's going to end up in the New Testament. And I want you to understand the authority. This is what um, Jesus told... Well, wait a minute. Yeah, I apologize. The first, very first reference is wrong. These are copy and paste and copy things, okay? My fault. This comes from the Gospel of John. I believe in chapter 14, maybe 15. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So he is authorizing the apostles, saying you are going to be able to understand what I've taught you. You are going to remember all the things that I have told you. How can they do that? On their own? No, it's what? The Holy Spirit is going to enable them to do that. And so they are preaching and teaching very much just like what we have in our New Testament. Those are the kinds of things that they were talking about. Okay, so that's why I say it's the Word of God. They were gathering for the teaching of God's Word. Okay, third thing, they were spending time sharing life together, right? I mean, we see uh, that the set talks about together. It talks about fellowship. Uh, it talks about one accord. talks about house to house and sharing meals. Uh, they were spending time, life together. And the key word for this is fellowship. Okay, fellowship. Well, what is fellowship? Um, The uh, father of the pastor I got saved under, who was also a preacher, he he grew up in Germany and came here, and so he was always trying to figure out how to speak English, but he said, fellowship, that's two fellows in the same ship. And there's some truth to that, right? That does kind of catch the idea, isn't it? It's together. But literally, the word fellowship, you may have heard the Greek word koinonia, but it means literally what is shared in common. What do we have in common? Well, what did they have in common? Maybe a bunch of things, but the one thing that they really had in common was Jesus and a relationship with him. So when we apply this, we're talking about spending time together because of a shared relationship with Jesus, and so this was going on. They were spending time on purpose, sharing life together. The next thing, the fourth thing is that they were God-dependent. God depended, and, and it says this because one of the things that they continued in was prayers, prayers. Now, in Christianity, I mean, some religions, you know, prayer is you pray in order to earn favor with God, right, it's like a good deed that you do. Or maybe you pray to try to get yourself centered, you know, and mostly whatever. But in, in, in scripture, prayer is what? Us talking to God. And maybe we're talking to him about what he's like and what he's done and grateful and all that kind of stuff. But really, what is it that most often drives somebody to pray? Hard times. An awareness of a need that I can't fix and I can't meet. Oh, boy, I should pray. Now, we ought to pray more than that. But you understand what I'm saying? So they were praying, and it's because they realized they needed God, they were dependent on him for all the things that he's telling them that they need to understand and do, okay? Another thing they were, they were conscious, the fifth thing, it talks about fear, fear came upon them all. And this is always a word I think that we wrestle with because how we use fear and how the Bible uses fear Often, quite different. But in the word fear in the New Testament, when we talk about fearing God, it's this idea of, wow, he's God. I mean, he's up there, right? And thankfully, he's here too in me. But he's big. He's powerful. He's holy. All those kinds of things. And wow, that should mean something, shouldn't it? That should affect how I think about things. That should affect how I respond to things, how I live, decisions I make, all those kinds of things. And so what we see who says, great fear came upon them. I think it's this idea that they were conscious of and very serious about their relationship with God and everything that went along with that Okay, because of who he was, everything. So they, they had that awareness of God. The sixth thing we see happening is that they're experiencing the supernatural working of God, aren't they? That's what it says here. Let's just take a look again. In verse number 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So they were experiencing the supernatural working of God. Now, I will say to you that this point in time, God gave the apostles this ability to work miracles because I digress too much here. The Apostle Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 the difference between the Jewish mindset and the Gentile mindset. And he says what the Gentile mindset is, the Greek mindset, the Western mindset is, you know, what's the logic here? You know, how can you explain this to me? Answer these questions for me. And really, they didn't have the word of God. They didn't know the true God. They didn't have it. So they're looking for an explanation. The Jewish people, on the other hand, they knew who God was. They knew what his word said, okay? They knew all of that. Their question would be, well, okay, there's different ways to understand who is speaking for God here to us. And it says the Jews require a sign. The the miraculous work of God, the power of God demonstrated, wow, so these people are speaking for God. Okay? And so this is what's going on here. God gave the apostles those abilities to work miracles. And he, they didn't just work them just around Jewish people. But they, they're called this. Let's look at it 2 Corinthians. Paul talking about himself. He says, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. He's talking about himself as an apostle. I had this. Okay. So. My understanding of the scripture is that as the apostles passed off the scene, so did these sign gifts that we're talking about. Now, let me be very, very clear. Never, ever did God intend for his supernatural working to go away. He intended for that to be a part of every church. His supernatural working. Is there anything in your life that really, you know, you might try to explain it some way, but really the only good explanation is that God has done something. Anybody have something like that in your life? Okay, yeah, right? Supernatural working of God, isn't it? He, he helps us to come to understand our need for Christ. He helps us to, to see how should we be living, what should start, what should stop. He, he encourages us and sometimes he miraculously provides for us or he miraculously strengthens us. I talked about that last week which called a miracle but it was definitely supernatural when I found myself in a position as associate pastor having to fill in for the pastor and somebody comes to me with questions I just like, when they're talking I'm saying oh no. Oh, God, there you go, I'm driven to pray. <laughs> and and they talked, and I listened, listen, and I, they paused like they were waiting to hear what I had to say. And I said, okay. And I just began to talk, and suddenly it's like I knew what to say. And that's a God thing. That's supernatural working. There's been times in our lives, my wife and I had the privilege yesterday of sharing with a a younger Christian couple about how God has worked in our lives and how in the very beginning of our Christian lives, we concluded that God said in his word that we should be giving at least the first 10% of our income to him, okay? Now, that didn't amount to much at that time. (laughs) 10% of very little is very little, right? But we did it, and we've, you know, And we had times when we had no money, but you know what? God always ended up providing in some way. And he provided often in ways that the timing of this or how someone knew or whatever had to be a God thing. And so we ought to be experiencing the supernatural working of God in our church. And I don't mean you're going to get a miracle a day. I'm not talking about that. But the idea is as we share our testimonies of what God is doing in our lives, we ought to be able to get a sense that, wow, there's something supernatural going on here. If God hadn't done this, I wouldn't be here in this situation. Okay. Um, number seven. They were making their money and possessions available for the needs of the church. We see that. So if they had something that someone else needed, they shared it with them. If they had something they really needed, may they sold it. And then they'd take that and to, to meet the needs of the other people. Because I think and all this, the, the scholars aren't 100% agreement on this, but I think that these people have been hanging around Jerusalem. They've had an extended stay in Jerusalem from the uh, the Feast of Pentecost. So That was the day of Pentecost. But they're there from all over the world because the Jewish people came to, to Israel to do these feasts and celebrations. And so they're there from all over the world and then they stayed. How does that work? You know, they... They didn't have jobs. Maybe they were finding work or they're staying, but they just didn't leave. And so there were great needs at the beginning like this. And so they were sharing. Their, their money was available. Their possessions were available for the needs of the church. Uh, and that, that ought not surprise us because what is Jesus like? I mean, look in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 9. Paul's talking about Jesus. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. And we're not talking about money here. We're talking about spiritual riches, right? And, and well, we had no life. We were spiritually dead and he comes and gives his and then we get the life. And, uh, but we see this is, this is the way Jesus is and the way Jesus was at the time. Uh, and so it shouldn't surprise us that his followers become like Jesus and they begin to say, hey, what do I have that can meet the needs of others? Of other people. And the Apostle Paul talked about this. In First Timothy chapter 6. He says command those who are rich. And can we stop for just a minute. Who is rich. What would rich mean. Well it would be more than what I have. Right. Would it be more than what you have. We feel that way. But really if you have all of your needs met. And you have more. You are what. Rich. Okay. And so this is what he's saying, for anybody who has more than they need, he says, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, okay? So this is part of what it means to follow Christ, and we see this in this this brand new baby church, it just comes out, okay? Uh, Number eight, Christianity was a daily pursuit, daily. Uh, they were meeting someplace. They were reaching out somewhere. They were, you know, anywhere they went, but it was a daily pursuit. It wasn't a Sunday pursuit. Okay. It wasn't some one Bible study pursuit. This is every day of how they live their lives. Now, you know, in our culture, we can't have a church. Well, we could have it, but I mean, we wouldn't be able to have a church service every day, 10 o'clock and expect you guys to all be here. Could we? But in their culture, they, it was, things were different. They didn't have. So there was freedom. And they could do a lot of those kinds of things. But so they were meeting someplace every day. And it was very natural to them. In fact, let me ask you. Uh, how often should your Christian life affect you? How many days a week should your Christian life affect you and how you live? Every day. Every day. That's right. So daily. This is a, a natural part of a church that's alive. Okay. Then number nine. They had a simple, clear, joyful focus on being Christian, both in public and in private. Again, this was not just a Sunday thing. It was ongoing, and it was not hidden. I think it's easy for us sometimes to go out into our lives out here as Christians and find ourselves in situations where there are people who aren't, you know, don't like Christians. And we just, just be quiet, don't, you know. But this was not hidden at their time. And Jesus said that it ought not to be hidden. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill, what? Cannot be hidden. And so when, have you ever seen a little baby and he's learning to walk and maybe he's a little toddler, you know, unless some stranger's around, but that he hides from you? Or do they just do what he does openly? Are they right? It's when they get older and conniving that they do things in heaven. But babies, they don't. And so again, the baby church, no, this is real. This is us. This is the way things are, okay? And, and that was flowing out into the people around them. And number 10, they were a positive influence on the world around them. We know that because they have favor with all the people. They have a good reputation. People like them. It's because of the way they were living. They were a positive influence on the world around them. Um, And this is where Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this is what they were doing. And we see the result. Because at the end of the chapter, it says what? More people were getting saved. But they they liked what they saw. They were drawn in. It got their attention, made them consider the message. And... um, so they got, you know, they were getting saved. All right, so I was thinking about this, and this seems very similar to me, What's, what we're describing, these kinds of things. This seems very similar to how I felt about church when I first became a Christian. Anybody remember when you first became a Christian and it was all new to you and you were so excited about it? Okay, I wish more of you were saying yes. Yes. It was, it was like this. You wanted to be there. You wanted to be a part. You want to learn. You want to grow. You wanted to... It was just... We were excited about it. And then somehow or other, we grew out of that. We kind of grew out of that. But I would say to you, as we consider these 10 things that are present in the life of this baby church, that we should be growing in these things, not growing out of them. That makes sense? Yeah. These are things we should be growing in. Now, the question that often gets asked here is, oh, so we should be doing what they were doing. Is this a model that we are supposed to follow? Is this um, a pattern or a prescription that we are supposed to do in our church? I know a man, a pastor, who decided that was the case, that he thought this was the model and this is what they were supposed to be doing and how they were supposed to be doing it. and and he really kept trying to force his church people to respond to this, and it just became a very divisive thing in the church, and I think the reason it did is not because he wasn't well-intended, but because it wasn't true. This is not a pattern for every church to follow. It's, It's not a prescription. It is a description, and what it describes is this. It describes the way a healthy church and its members respond in their relationship with the Lord, their relationship with each other, and a relationship with the world around them. How does a healthy church respond to these things? And in their culture, they responded to those things. Well, how do we respond to these things in our culture? Well, that's, the culture keeps changing. Has anybody noticed that? And so those things might change along the way. But what we see, that there was a reality in their lives, wasn't there? There was something in their lives that just controlled them. You know, the love of God within them was uh, just, you know, spilling out. um, The word of God and what they were learning was just controlling their lives and coming out in their lives. And so just going back to what we talked about last week, their pancakes were saturated. Okay? And that's so what's coming out, see? Now, if you say, what in the world is he talking about? Because you weren't here last week. let me encourage you to either go back and watch last week's sermon or ask somebody here afterwards. And they can explain it to you. All right. But so the idea is this. It's not some model or pattern that, that we need here. It's like building a fire. You can stack up all your wood and put your kindling in your newspaper and all that kind of stuff. And then sit down at the chair next to it and go like this, waiting for the warmth. But what has to happen for that warmth to come? Has to be a flame, doesn't it? Yeah. Has to be a fire that then catches these things and transforms them and then you can sit and enjoy those things. So what, are, what is it underlying all of this then that would be that fire that would, you know, take whatever structures and organization and, and turn it into kind of thing we're seeing in this brand new church? Well, I think I I see three things here. Um, it's, It's about their relationship. These three core truths. First is their relationship with Christ was real. And it affected every area of their lives. It was real. And so, you know, we aren't going to experience this life that we see here, this kind of life, if what we have is a shallow faith. If we have a faith that Matters on Sundays. But if we aren't, you know, if it isn't real in our lives. And so it really does come down to, first of all, do you really know the Lord? Because if you really know the Lord and you give in to him, guess what? It becomes very real in your life. And it begins to affect all the areas of your life. And if not, if you, if you do know the Lord, you know, what do you, what do you, what's going on? Have you grown cold? disinterested, whatever, and so we need to, you know, each of us as individuals, you know, we as a church will never experience this real relationship with Christ that affects everything unless I experience that, unless it's true for me, unless it's true for us, because the church is not a me, it's a we, right? So a lot of us gotta get this, preferably all of us. We need this real relationship with the Lord. And so if you don't know Christ as Savior, you've never accepted him, that's where it has to start. If you have questions about that, please come ask me. i uh, would love to talk to you about it. But so what we need to do is, is for those of us who do know, let me, you know what it seems like to me when I read these things? It seems to me that these guys were thrilled to be saved. Are we living our lives each and every day like we're thrilled to be saved? And if we need to. And so this would help this to become more of a reality in our lives. So we want to reconnect with what the Lord has really done in our lives. The kinds of things we can never do for ourselves. Secondly, um, they were getting together to be the church. And that really mattered to them. It really mattered to them to get together and be what God intended for them to be together. Um, I'm not talking just about Attending. Not just attending the church, but being the church. And there's a difference. They do overlap, but it's different. Um, Because we need not just to attend, but we need to be the church and and loving each other the way the Lord commanded, uh, experiencing his reality in our midst. You know, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus said, where to, for where to. Actually, yeah, let me go back. I skipped something, Eduardo, didn't I? Yes, I'm sorry. Look in verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in these things. All of these things. They continued steadfastly. Well, what does it mean? That comes from one word. Translates one word. Continuing steadfastly. It means to continue doing something with intense effort. It means even in the face of difficulty, I'm going to do this. So it means to devote oneself. To keep on. To persist in. It wasn't like hey, you're going to go to the service this week? Yeah, I don't know. I got some stuff around the house I need to do. Oh, no, no. If I don't get this stuff around the house, life's going to get hard. Oh, well, I am persisting in this. I'm going to continue steadfastly in it. All right. And so think about this. Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so he's talking here actually about a church discipline a process and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is still there that when we get together to do God's business, guess what? Jesus is there. Did we come together today to do the things that God told us to do? Yes. So who's here? Jesus. Are you guys convinced? Jesus is here. And if you're not here, I mean, you guys are here. Don't worry about that. But... <laughs> If a person is not here, they aren't experiencing that. They're missing out on that. Um, then Romans chapter 5 says, talks about the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He's filled our hearts with his love. We ought to want to express that with each other. And then Jesus said, by this all will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. That's, and how do they know that? I mean, it, it is about us loving each other which includes getting together so it's not just attending but it does include attending faithful attendance matters being here to be a part and to participate and and you might say sometimes well I don't know what difference it made I was there today well let me tell you something God says it makes a difference when you're here so guess what it made a difference whether you felt it or not we don't do things because we just feel them. We do things because what God says. That should be the way we handle these things. And so we need to see the church with renewed eyes. See it the way the Lord wants us to see it. The Bible says that he loved the church and gave himself for it. For her, actually, is what it says. So all right, third reality here. Being, they were being salt and light to the people around them, and it included sharing the gospel. You, know, you can be the nicest person to the people around you, but if you never share the gospel or help them to hear the gospel, what happens when they die? They're lost. So just being that nice person, salt and light, it's not, it includes, if you really care, trying to talk about maybe how you came to a relationship with Christ, sharing with them what the Bible says, or maybe it's inviting them to some place that they're going to hear the gospel and then talking with them afterwards. Why? Because you actually care about these people. You actually have a love of Christ in you for these people. Um, so we need to pray about these things, choose, and we need to respond. And, and it, Paul said in Galatians 6, he says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to whom? That's right. And he does say, especially to those who are the household of faith. We need to be loving and living that out here. But it's not just here. It is to, that means all the people that you run into in life, Right? How do I be, because I think being openly Christian. Openly Christian, ready to share the gospel should the Lord open the door. You're ready. All right, so these three things are the realities that we as a church should share with that brand new baby church, this life. A church that's in motion. Their relationship with Christ was real, affected their whole lives. They were getting together to be the church and this really mattered to them. And then they were being salt and light to the people around them and getting the gospel out. How do we know that? Because people were still getting saved. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts with the reality of what a relationship with you should mean in our lives. Not just should, but does mean. I pray, Lord, you would stir our hearts again where we would find ourselves feeling thrilled just to be saved. To know that our eternal destiny with you is settled and that you're you're alive in us and and that we are connected to all these other people here in the body of Christ through that shared spirit and all of these things. Lord, please stir us. Help us to become the church that you want us to be, one that will honor and glorify you and one that will be the greatest blessing in our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.